not standing, stand please. Again, this is an important moment we take when we have a guest minister. And it's honoring, esteeming the gift of God in a man that the Lord has sent us. And it's hugely important because a lot of people, you know, you hear them say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't really like that preacher. And I've had this said about me occasionally. Once every thousand years or so, somebody will say, I don't like Pastor Max preaching. I just don't like the way he comes across, whatever. We can do that about any minister because in the natural, there are always going to be things that we might not really like or identify with about another person. But God says if you want his gift that he's deposited in that man to be a conduit for the anointing, that impacts and changes your life, you have to esteem that gift. You need to esteem and honor that gift. So that's why we take a moment to do this. I mean, we have a very special in the natural as well as spiritual gift of God with us today in the person of Robert Madhu. And so I want us to be grateful for the time, the effort, the energy, the prayer that he's invested and that the Lord has, you know, taken to send him to us. Esteem the gift and you'll be changed eternally by it. Robert has crisscrossed the globe for 20 years, almost 20 years, preaching the gospel. And that's where many of you probably have already heard his name. Uh, I know many of you have. But now he's got a fresh vision and an undeniable passion for the city of Dallas, Texas. He has stepped into the role of senior pastor in a church there that is named Social Dallas. And so we are really blessed to have him up here with us on a Sunday after having started this new work. He is husband to Taylor Madhu and a father of three beautiful children. Would you please give Robert a warm welcome to our pulpit? I love him. Wow. Come on, can we give Jesus a big hand clap of praise today? Come on, Living Word, you can do better than that. Let's lift up the name that's above every name. Come on, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Are you glad to be in God's house? Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Uh, don't get comfortable. You might be back up again. Come on. It is an absolute honor uh, to be here. In fact, I am Red Bull excited and espresso elated uh, to have finally made it to Minnesota here at Living Word Church. How many know you're a part of a phenomenal church? Come on. I hope you know that. You have to know that because I, I left the great country of Texas uh, and the city of Dallas on Father's Day, left uh, our baby church that we just launched on Easter Sunday uh, to be with you. But it is incredible just to see what God has done here in this church. And uh, I'm glad to be here. I want, I want to do this. I know Pastor Mag did it earlier, but uh, it is Father's Day. It's Father's Day. And let's be honest, sometimes men are tolerated and not celebrated, okay? So I'm going to ask all the men, all the men, not just the fathers, every man, because how many know you do not have to be a bio have biological children to be a father? You can be a mentor. You can father even if you don't have biological children. So I'm going to ask every man to stand. If you're a man and you know it, would you stand up on your feet? Come on. Can we thank God for all these 
mighty warriors, mighty men of God. Come on, y'all could do better than that. I salute and celebrate you. Amen. Just incredible to see all the mighty men of God today. And I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to let everybody else eavesdrop uh, on the message that I have. But I know it's going to be a blessing to you. And I particularly want to thank God for your pastor, the father of this house, for Pastor Mac, who has been faithfully for 40 years preaching the gospel. And uh, not just you, but to your incredible wife, Lynn. Um, I love, love, love who you are. They're not just great leaders, they're great people. And it's evident if you just spend five minutes with them, you see their heart and how you live is the greatest sermon anybody will ever preach. I'm in a season of life. I'm not impressed with your intensity. I'm impressed with your consistency. People that just keep showing up and keep doing it are faithful. And you're blessed to have pastors who've been faithful and consistent. Come on, one more time. Help me thank God for them. Thank you for the trust to preach in this pulpit today, and I'm going to preach it like I feel it. It's going to be good, good, good. If y'all feel like hearing it like I feel like preaching it, I know it's going to be good. Uh, I'm going to go to Mark chapter 8 today. Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to look at verses 22 through 26. The gospel according to Mark chapter 8. We'll start at verse 22, and we'll land at verse 26. While you're turning your Bible on... <laughs> Or actually turn it in your Bible. How many of you got a, a, a real paper Bible in here with you? Come on. Just need to see where the real Christians are. Hey, Amen. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> um, how many of you actually, you've never heard me preach before? Can I see your hand? You've never heard me preach before? Oh, Lord. That's almost everybody. Okay. <laughs> a quick disclaimer. Quick disclaimer. Um, as Pastor Mac mentioned, there's just different preachers and different preaching styles. And there are some preachers who are very calm and very quiet, very stoic and sedate as they stand behind a pulpit or circular table to softly pontificate the processes of philosophy, eschatology, and soteriology. And they would consider it uncanny and boisterous for you to say anything while they're sharing what the Lord has deposited in the deep recesses of their heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Uh, I ain't one of those preachers, okay? <laughs> Just let you know right now, all right? I am what you call a hollaback preacher, okay? <laughs> All that means, all that means is for the next six and a half hours uh, that we have together, if anything I'm saying you're feeling or it's resonating with you, you could say amen, you could say preach that, you could say mm, that was good, you could say whoo, that was for me, you could say ooh, that was for you. Any one of those <laughs> work. Uh, I just think a quiet church is a dead church and how many know you're not dead, you are alive on this Father's Day. So let's go into the word. Mark chapter 8, we'll start at verse 22, and we'll end at verse 26. And it says, then he came to Bethsaida, that he is Jesus, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. And so he, being Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, unsanitary Jesus and put his hands on him he asked him if he saw anything he looked up and said I see men like trees walking then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly and he sent him away to his house saying 
neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Can you say amen? So much in this passage that intrigues me, especially that spitting Jesus. But particularly, I want to look at the first words that come out of the mouth of this blind man. He said, I see men like trees walking. I see men like trees walking. I want to preach you today using this as a title, men like trees. Men like trees. That's my message this Father's Day. I think we need more men like trees. I think our nation needs men like trees. I think our families need men like trees. I think the next generation needs men like trees. Would you look at somebody next to you, whichever one you like the best, and just look at them right in their face and say, neighbor, Oh, some of y'all didn't want to talk to your neighbor. Come on, this is a friendly church. You can talk to your neighbor, I promise. Just look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, we need men like trees. Not like shrubs, not like flowers, not like weeds. Men like trees. Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. God, thank you that you're our father. You're a faithful father. That you're a loving father. That you're a father that shows up. That you're a father that will never let us down. Thank you that we can come to you and cry out, Abba, Father. God, I ask that you would have your way in this place today. Lord, I pray that you would let every word, every phrase, every syllable that comes out of my mouth, let it speak to the hearts of your people. And when we leave church today, let us not say we were entertained, but God, let us say we were drastically changed by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. Come on, everybody said, amen. First of all, it's an incredible honor to have my father here with me in service. My dad is right here on the front row. My father, Robert Madu Sr., the man after which myself and my only son, my man-child is named, he is undoubtedly, unashamedly, and authentically African. He was born in Oweri, Nigeria in 1957, but in 1979, he pulled an Eddie Murphy and came to America. (laughs) He met my mom on the collegiate campus of Texas A&M, and from what I'm told, their first encounter was at a library, upon which my father encroached my mom and said, excuse me, are you from Nigeria? Are you Nigerian? (laughs) which my mom said, no, I'm American. (laughs) But they kept talking, and then came love, then came marriage, then came me and the baby carriage. And I have to tell you today that when your father is African and your mother is American, it's very clear which box you check on the paper. I am (laughs) African-American. Growing up in the household, somebody just got got it. Growing up in a household with a Nigerian father is just different. 
It's different growing up as a Nigerian kid. I mean, I'm telling you, it's just different. You are uh, inundated, not even in your childhood, even your adulthood, with these, these statements, these pithy African proverbs that you won't find in your Bible, but they'll just hit you out of nowhere. He'll just come with it. Like as a kid, you're in your room playing PlayStation, and he'll just bust in and say things like, have you done your homeworks yet? Like, no, I'll do it tomorrow. Let me tell you something. Tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it today. These are the statements <laughs> that I grew up with. Not just in my childhood, even in my adulthood. My adulthood checking my savings account and my investments and will look at the number that's in there and go, oh my goodness, that is all that you have in your savings account. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If you take care of your pennies, your dollars will take care of themselves. These are the statements. <laughs> that I grew up with, and, and today I thought as a Father's Day gift, I would unlock the rich heritage of my African father, my Nigerian father, and give you an African proverb that really is gonna set the trajectory of this message today, because there's an African proverb that says that until the lion learns how to write, every story will glorify the hunter. Until the lion learns how to write, every story will glorify the hunter. That proverb is packed with so much pertinent truth, but I love it because within that proverb, with clarity and brevity, it's actually letting you know the human tendency to edit our stories in such a way where we highlight our strengths, but we hide our weaknesses. Have you noticed this about us? People are real loud about their victories, but they're quiet about their vulnerabilities. Oh, especially men. Oh, come on. This is in our DNA. We love to talk about our strengths. We do not like to talk about our weaknesses. We want you to know that we are Superman. We want you to talk about the S on our chest. We want you to see our cave. We want you to know that we can jump a building in a single bound, but we don't want to have conversations about our kryptonite. Oh, yeah, don't talk to us about our weaknesses. We can't stand hearing about our kryptonite and our Clark Kentness. We want you to know that we're Superman. And let me just parenthetically pause right here and help some of the ladies. Your man will never become the Superman God has called him to be if you keep bringing up his kryptonite. No man wants to keep hearing about his weaknesses and you never do this and you never do that. He'll never be the Superman God's called him to be if you keep bringing bringing up his kryptonite. We know our kryptonite. Don't talk to me about my Clark Kentness. Tell me who I am in Christ. Tell me who I can become. Tell me that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If you will speak life to your man and tell him how you see him, not what you see, I promise you, you'll see a change. I'm telling you, he will find a phone booth and he'll transform right before you. But you're not going to see it if you keep bringing up the kryptonite. Brothers, y'all not going to say amen and help me out. If I didn't do nothing else, I just gave you that right there. Oh, we're loud about our victories. We're quiet about our vulnerabilities until the lion learns how to write. Every story will glorify the hunter. I love that proverb. You can get the imagery of the proverb. It's as if you see a man coming in from the wild of the jungle into the village with the carcass of the lion on his back and he throws the lion in the middle of the village and all of the villagers come and they see as he tells the story of his bravery and his valor and how he ripped the lion apart and tackled it down and everybody stands in amazement. But the reality is, since it was only the man and the lion in the jungle, 
how do we know you're telling the truth? <laughs> how do we know you didn't just stumble upon the dead body of a lion and all you did was pick it up and bring it into the village? In fact, the only way to find out if the man is telling the truth or if he's lying <laughs> is to ask the lion. <laughs> oh, we love to talk about our victories. We don't want anybody to know our vulnerabilities. But hear me, man. Hear me today. Your victories are not just in your valor. Your victory is also in your vulnerability. Your ability to show your weakness. Your ability to say, this is where I bleed. This is where I hurt. Your victory is often found in your vulnerability. I once heard a pastor said that we lead with our strengths, but we connect through our vulnerabilities, through our weaknesses. No wonder, no wonder men have a hard time connecting. It's because we're too busy saying, I got it. I'm good. We hate vulnerability. And don't get mad at us. You taught us when we were kids. Suck it up. Big boys don't cry. That's what we did. We sucked it up. We've been sucking it up for years. Sucking it up. No, no. Big boys don't cry. Yeah. Sucking up. No, I'm good. Got it. Sucking up. And then you get married to a woman who looks at you and says, you never communicate. Like, you never tell me how you feel. And we're like, huh, huh, pal, I've been sucking it up for 17 years. We don't want anybody to see our vulnerability. But I'm telling you, your victory is in your ability to be vulnerable. This is what I love about Jesus. He is our model for manhood. How many know your God was powerful, but he was vulnerable? He's the model for manhood. Jesus was powerful. Don't get it twisted. He was powerful. Who else but God could be asleep in the middle of a hurricane, wake up from the storm because his disciples were scared, go to the edge of the ship and just say, peace, be still, and a hurricane gets slain in the spirit. He was that powerful that he could sleep in a storm and had to be woken up to calm it. But that same Savior was in a garden of Gethsemane one day and he was facing the cross and now he's running to the same disciples that woke him up and said, would you please wake up and pray for me because I'm going through a storm on the inside. This God was powerful, but he was also vulnerable. Who else but God could go into a graveyard and preach a three-point sermon and say, Lazarus, come forth and call a dead man out of the grave. It was powerful. But he was also vulnerable because he wept with the family before he raised the man from death to life. Man, I'm telling you, your victory is in your ability to be vulnerable. I love this text in Mark chapter 8 because this text, when it tells you there is a blind man, it's telling you there's a man who is vulnerable. There is nothing like blindness that makes you vulnerable. Having no vision, the byproduct of no vision is vulnerability. I'm t you have not seen vulnerability until you've seen a person that's blind. You don't believe me? Let's do an exercise. Close your eyes. Can you close your eyes? Everybody here, close your eyes. Close your eyes. You know I can see you. Close your eyes. <laughs> Just for a moment, close them. I want you to imagine trying to get back to your car after this service when that's all you can see. How far would you get? You wouldn't get out of this room. You wouldn't even get out of your seat. You can open your eyes. If that's all you could see, there's no way you would take a step. The byproduct of blindness is vulnerability is that you have to always be led by somebody. This is how this man 
Saul's life was. He had to be guided. When you're blind, when you have no vision, you are susceptible to the voices around you. If you're blind and somebody tells you your hair is blue, it could be blonde, but you have to believe that it's blue because I have to rely on the voices around me when I have no vision. This is the danger of a man or a person with no vision. When you have no God-given vision, you will live your life believing the lies that other people told you, telling you that you're stupid, telling you that you'll never be anything. Some of us right now, even in our adulthood, are still dealing with the pain and the trauma of people telling us stuff when we were a child that we're still trying to fight somebody telling you're stupid you'll never be anything and here you are an adult and you are so smart you got more degrees than a thermometer but every single day you're trying to fight the voices of your past when you had no vision for who you really were those voices that tried to put an imprint on your life and tell you who you were oh it is so vulnerable to have no vision to have to be led anywhere this was this man's life until one day, the Bible says some people, I don't know their names, but they are heroes in this text because some people come up on this blind man and say, hey, you better get ready. Guess who's in town? Jesus is in town. Oh, yes. I saw it on Google Maps. He is in town right now. And I'm telling you, I got a feeling that if you get in the presence of this Jesus, he is going to change your life. I heard he's got a reputation for healing the sick and giving sight to the blind and casting out demons. Come on, you better get up. I'll tell you where to go. I know you can't see, but we know how to see. So we'll guide you. We'll lead you. Can you see this blind man walking step by step by some people who are leading him into the presence of this Savior who was going to change his life forever? See, to me, this is where the miracle began. The miracle did not start when he met Jesus. The miracle started when he said, I'm going to trust you to lead me to a Savior that I can't even see, but I heard by faith. I feel like preaching this service. I heard by faith that he's able to do something. So since I'm going to take a step by faith knowing that if he can do it I'll trust you to lead me to him this is where the miracle started the miracle didn't start when he met Jesus the miracle started when he said I'm going to let these strangers lead me into his presence the miracle didn't start when he opened up his eyes he couldn't even find Jesus the miracle started when he decided to be led by those people that is a picture of us how many of you know that you didn't even know to know you needed Jesus blind people can't find Jesus Ooh. see when this man got his sight it would have been ridiculous for him to say yeah I found Jesus one day what you mean you found Jesus blind people can't find anything and that's why some of you need to change your testimony because you've been telling people yeah I found Jesus one day in the service no 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 Jesus was never lost you didn't find him he found you he was seeking you when you weren't even thinking about him his grace Oh my goodness, when you were in the club and you knew there's got to be more to life than this, his grace was working on your heart. He was drawing you to himself. Oh, that's where the miracle started. The miracle started before he even met him. The miracle started when he said, I'm going to trust him to lead me into his presence. I wish the Bible would have given us the names of the people that led him. They are heroes in the text because they knew it is not my responsibility to heal this blind man. It's just my responsibility to get him in the presence of the one that can. They knew that the healing is on Jesus. 
the bringing is on us. I wish the church would get this today. That the healing is on Jesus, but the bringing is on you. Can I speak to some fathers in here? Don't you let the mama in the house be the one waking up every Sunday. Time out. Come on, we're going to church. No, no, no. You can make a decision that this Father's Day, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. You ought to be the one as the man, as the tree, to say, come on, kids, get up. Dad, you never made us get up before. Oh, it's a new Father's Day. We are going today. We're going to the house of the Lord this is what we do it's not your job to do the healing but it is your job to get them in the atmosphere where the healing can take place Ooh, I know what I'm talking about I live this you see that man sitting on that front row that Nigerian father we didn't have a choice growing up it was no votes it was no democracy it was a dictatorship every day the doors were open we had to be in there I'm telling you, he just put us in the atmosphere. I remember one Sunday, I got a little brave. I said, I ain't going today. <laughs> said that to him. I'll never forget what he said. He said, let me tell you something. You have two options, huh? You can get out of that bed and go to church, or I can kill you. <laughs> and we will go to church and have your funeral. But either way, you will be in church. Because as for me and this house, we will serve the Lord. That's a true story. That's not a joke. <laughs> Look at these friends. These friends knew their responsibility was just to bring him to the presence of Jesus. He'll do the healing. We'll do the bringing. I even like, ooh, God's word is so good. I even like what they said when they brought him. They go, touch him. That's what he did. They dropped him off and said, here he is. He's blind. Touch him. That is clear brand identity right there. They didn't say heal him. They said, touch them. They knew that one touch from God can change your life forever. That just one touch, all it takes is one touch. They didn't say heal them. They just said, touch them. I can see the man going, here it goes. He's about to touch my eyes, and I'm about to get healed. But he doesn't touch his eyes. The first thing Jesus touches is not his eyes. It's his hand. That's the first touch of Jesus, is to take his hand. Isn't that just like Jesus? I found that Jesus sometimes will touch areas in your life that you think have nothing to do with other areas. And many of us are like the blind man standing there like going, here it goes. And all of a sudden you feel him touch your hand. You're like, what? My hand is good. <laughs> it's the eyes are the problem. And that's your problem. Is you don't know your problem. Our problem is we don't know our problem. But Jesus would generally touch another area of your life that you don't think needs to be touched, but it's actually connected to another area. See, some of you think the addiction, the addiction, the alcoholism, the women, whatever it is that you keep running to, men, or whoever it is that you keep running to, you think that's the problem. That is the fruit of the problem. The root of the problem is the pain in your soul from never having maybe an earthly father tell you who you were. So you keep trying to find it in the bed of this woman and that woman and in the bottom of this bottle and that bottle. And the thing that you're wanting will never be found in that bed or that bottle. It'll only be found in a savior that looked over his son and said this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased and once you have that approval from your father you'll stop reaching for it in other places because he'll touch one area and the addiction is not the problem it's what's at the root he takes him by the hand and he says okay 
follow me. I love it because this is what faith looks like. The embryonic stages of faith always looks like you forsaking what is familiar and the voices and the people that brought you to now saying, I'm going to take your hand, Jesus, and I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me. Can you see him following Jesus? This is what faith looks like. It's saying, I don't know which way to go. I don't know the step, but I'm trusting that God, you know the next step. Come on, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He said he'll order your steps. It doesn't mean you can see the steps. It just means you got to hold his hand and trust him for where the step is. And he follows him, and Jesus takes him out of the town, out of the village. I'm going to deal with your eyes in a minute, but the first thing I got to do is get you out of this town. You got to get out of this village. That's what he did. He said, let's get out of the village. Takes him all the way out of the village. That's the first thing Jesus does is gets him out of the village. Your eyes are coming, but first things first, let's get out of this village. Why do we have to get out of the village? Oh, it's very simple. Because your village affects your vision. For my note takers, that's point one. <laughs> your village affects your vision. Your environment affects your eyes. And Jesus is teaching us a principle that what good is it for me to give you new eyes and for you to stay in a negative environment? What good is it for me to touch your sight if you still have the same surroundings? Your village matters. I want to ask you right now in this season to do an analyzation of your village. Who are the people around you? Are they people that are building you up? Men of God, do you have anybody that's sharpening you? The Bible says iron sharpens iron, not iron and wood. Iron sharpens iron. Do you have another man of God that's pushing you into your purpose? Who is your village? Because your village will affect your vision. Some of you right now, God does awesome things in your life. He speaks to you. You have an incredible pastor that preaches the word of God. And you're blessed on Sunday and you're fired up. But then you go back to your job on Monday. And there's your village. <laughs> that cubicle. Those negative people who seek to squander what God is doing in your life. You ever met just negative people? You ever met those people like, like they, they, they light up a room when they walk out? <laughs> Just always going to find something negative to say. Some of you got to get away from that village because you will take on that negativity. You will take on that doubt. It'll get into your heart. It'll affect your vision. Jesus knew. He said, I'm about to give you new eyes. You're going to see a sunset for the first time. And you don't need it. The worst thing to do is to be looking at a magnificent sunlight and the myriad of colors within the sunset and to be in awe at the sunset and be sitting next to somebody going, yeah, I've seen it before. <laughs> negative environments, negative village. We got to get out of the village. It made me wonder, what was this village? Oh, the Bible tells us, Bethsaida. That was the village that Jesus said we got to get out of, Bethsaida. And I know things are opening back up. Thank God people are traveling. And if your travel agent is booking you a trip, don't go to Bethsaida. No, I'm, I'm begging you. Go somewhere else. Go to the Bahamas. Go to Aruba. Go to Branson, Missouri. Do not go to Bethsaida. I'm just telling you because Jesus couldn't stand Bethsaida. I didn't know that Jesus had cities and towns he didn't like. You don't believe me. Matthew 11. Matthew 11. Watch. Jesus had towns he didn't like. It says, then he began to rebuke the cities, not people, the cities, which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. 
It says, woe to you. This is Jesus talking. When Jesus starts saying, woe, you better pay attention. <laughs> woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus, why do you say woe to Bethsaida? He says, because that's the city that I did mighty works, that I did miracles, and they still refused to believe. He says, I cannot do the miraculous in an environment and a village of unbelief. He said, I cannot change somebody who is committed to unbelief. I've got to get you out of this village because unbelief will be the barrier to the breakthrough that you've been believing God for. He said, I can't work with unbelief. Let me flip it and help some of you. Some of you right now are trying to prove who you are to some people who are committed to unbelief. There are some people who are never going to believe you've changed. There are some people who are never going to celebrate you. And you are wasting time and emotional energy trying to get somebody to celebrate you that never will. You need to learn to tell people, God bless you, goodbye. I'm not going to spend hours and day trying to convince you to believe something that you are committed to not believing. If Jesus couldn't do it, come on, you may as well chillax. You know you can't do it. He said, I got to get you out of that village because the village will always affect your vision. And once he got him out of that village, now here comes the moment that he had to be waiting for. He's like, oh, okay, I can tell we're in a different environment. It's just me and you. This is going to be good. I'm sure worship music started playing in the background. <laughs> and right as he's waiting, ready for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to touch his eyes, he hears a noise over the worship music. He hears a, <laughs> I guess, what, that's odd. That's not in that part of this, <laughs> is he about, and Jesus <laughs> proceeds to spit in this man's, I, I'm assuming twice, two eyes, <laughs> spits in this man's, uh, come on, you felt it when we read it. Why is Jesus spitting on people? Oh, some of y'all are super saved. Can we just be honest and just agree that is nasty? <laughs> Jesus, why are you spitting on people? Oh my goodness, this is what's hard as a preacher is we have to preach this stuff. Why is Jesus spitting? What does that have to do with this healing, Jesus? Couldn't you have done something else? Come on, can you imagine being in service and Pastor Mac saying, well, I'm trying to be like Jesus. You need a breakthrough? Come here. Come here. I'm going to pray for you. <sighs> Like, Pastor Matt, go back on vacation. You need some more time. What? Why is he spitting on people? And those of you who have been to Sunday school or read your Bible, you would know this is not the first time Jesus has spit on somebody. Oh, it's not. Turns out Jesus is a serial spitter. Oh, yes. Read your Bible. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, there is a dude who is deaf. And almost in the same way, Jesus leads the deaf man out of the city and then proceeds to spit on his finger and put it in the man's ear. It gets worse in John chapter 8 or 9. I believe there's a man who's been born blind and Jesus spits in mud and takes the spit and the mud and starts caking it in his eye, breaking all kinds of COVID-19 rules, just all in his eyes. And then does the most gangster move ever. He says, go wash it off and see what happens. I got some stuff I got to do. You go ahead. Why is he spitting on 
some people. Is he sick? Is he mean? Is it rude? Is it lack of care? Or could it be compassion? Could it be that spitting in that man's eyes was an act of love and an act of compassion? You have to understand when you read your Bible, you must read your Bible understanding the context and the culture that your Bible was written in. And in that time period, they believed that spit had medicinal value. They believed that there was healing power in spit. So when Jesus was spitting in this man's eyes, he wasn't trying to be rude. He wasn't trying to be gross. He was actually being kind. He was actually saying, I'm willing to meet you at your starting place of truth. You think that healing is in spit? It's not. It's in me. But since you think that the healing is in the spit, I'm willing to meet you where you are. I'm willing to meet you at your starting. You think the healing's in the spit? It's not. It's in me. But I'm willing to meet you at your starting place. Since you trusted me to leave that village of unbelief and you're out here, I'm going to meet you where you are. I'm telling you, somebody, you need to understand that if you'll take a step, God will take a step to you. You just got to start. He draws close to people who draw close to him. Oh, who am I preaching to today? I've seen so many men get defeated because they think I can't be the man of God God's called me to be because you think in 24 hours you got to have the whole Bible memorized and got to start speaking Christianese and when somebody says how are you you can't even say I'm good you got to say well I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord yes I am no just start just start you got to pray six hours a day pray six minutes pray six seconds just start you don't got to start reading Leviticus and you just got say, just start. Start with the Proverbs. It's 31 chapters. Read a proverb a day. Just start. And God's willing to meet you right where you start. Thank God for the spit. The spit said, I'll meet you at the place where you start. He spits in the man's eyes and then he touches the man's eyes. And this is where the miracle gets crazy. Because you would think after having the spit in your eyes and after getting the touch, that the natural progression would be, hallelujah, I can see. I mean, come on, this is the part of the miracle where the man's supposed to start praising and saying, thank you, Jesus. But that's not what happened. Jesus spit, touched the man's eyes, and the touch did not produce the healing. Ooh, no wonder Mark is the only person that records this miracle. Matthew doesn't talk about it. Luke doesn't talk about it. John doesn't talk about it. Leave it to Mark. Like crazy Mark, the guy who skips Christmas and went straight to full-grown Jesus. <laughs> Leave it to him. Leave it to him to talk about the miracle where Jesus had to do two touches. You know, most of the miracles, it was one touch. A one touch from Jesus. You shouted about it earlier. One touch from Jesus will change your life. Come on, all throughout the Bible, we see instances where he touched.
touched people's lives and one touch changed them. One time he didn't even touch somebody. A centurion said, my servant is sick at the house, but I'm not worthy for you to come to the house. Just speak the word. And Jesus does the first Wi-Fi miracle. He just speaks the word and somebody got healing without even being in the same proximity of Jesus. Come on, you know the word. There was a woman who he didn't touch. He was just on his way somewhere else, but she pressed her way through the crowd and she touched the hem of his garment and his clothes produced him. He can heal any kind of way he wants. All it takes is one touch. Please don't get it twisted. If he touches your eyes, you need to already have your Netflix account ready. You about to see. If he touches your ears, get you some headphones. You about to hear. If he touches your legs, you need to know what dance you're going to do before he touches your legs. Because if he touches those legs, you're going to get up and dance. Oh, our God can do anything. So obviously, it's not a lack of power since he's touching them twice in this miracle. But that first touch and asking the question that he asked after the touch, look at what he asked. Can you see anything? You know when Jesus asks a question, you got to pay attention because he knows everything. <laughs> Question's never for him. <laughs> it's always for you. He touched him and then said, can you see anything? Because he wanted to see if that man would be honest about his current condition. Hear me, men. Hear me. God does not need your perfection. Matter of fact, you can't be perfect. He was. But he does need your honesty. He has to have honesty. If you are honest about your condition and where you are, God will run to you. He just can't deal with you pretending like you're good when you're not. But if you'll be honest, he will meet you. A broken and a contrite spirit, he will not deny. He wants your honesty. And he touched the man and didn't heal him fully on purpose to see if he would be honest enough to say, uh, Jesus, uh, Mr. Jesus, I appreciate the touch and the spit. But it's not clear. It's blurry. He wanted to see if he would be honest about his blurry condition. One of the hardest things for believers to do, hear me, I've been in church my whole life, is to be honest about blurry. Because we always feel like we got the clear picture. That we never want to be honest enough to say, I don't know. That's what I loved about this whole season. I mean, not people losing their lives, but the pandemic. It was beautiful to see experts go, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. They change in every week, press conference. Yeah, I, I wear a mask. Yeah, wear a mask. No, no, take them off. Take them off. No, no, put, put them back on. Put them back on now. It's airborne. Don't go in the air. No, no, actually, it's on surfaces. Just tell me you don't know. Just tell me you don't know. Wouldn't that been refreshing? Hey, I'm sorry. I know I'm a part of the CDC, but it's blurry. I don't know. But pride, pride will make you not admit I can't see clearly. Why can't people admit when it's blurry? I'm telling you, you serve a God that will take you from blind to blurry. 
I appreciate the hallelujah, but people don't like it. We don't. We like songs. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now. Not, but now. Blurry. We don't like that song. We want to see immediately. We hate uncertainty. But this text is powerful because it teaches you God will take you from blind to blurry. And the blurry is not a burden. The blurry is a blessing. Because there's something about it being blurry that makes you seek him more. There's something about it being blurry that makes you say, God, you got to give me a word from you. I don't know whether I'm supposed to stay in this job or whether I'm supposed to start the business. God, I don't know if I'm supposed to marry them or not. Yeah, he looks good, but I'm looking at his credit score, and it's looking real blurry. God, I need clarity. God, I know she's fine, but I'm seeing some character issues, and I need to know if she's it's blurry. Blurry makes you see God for clarity. Have you ever downloaded something on your computer and seen it take forever to download? And after it's taking so long, you go, it's, you get all up in your computer screen trying to, is it still moving? <laughs> Have you ever done it? You ever leaned in close to see if it was still downloading and moving if the little blue circle or whatever dot was still moving? You lean in close when it's blurry. That's what God wants. God wants you to lean in. Don't give up when it looks blurry. Don't give up because the first touch didn't work. I wonder if God wants to see if you have the tenacity and the relentless faith. It says, I don't have the full picture, but I'll seek you until I get it. I don't have clarity yet, Jesus. Ooh, I feel your presence, God. I don't have clarity yet, Jesus, but I'm going to seek you till I get the clarity. I don't know who this is for today, but somebody walked away because it was blurry. And God's calling you back to say, if you're not honest about it being blurry, you might not get the second touch. Thank God he had the honesty to say, it's not clear. It's blurry. And then look at what he says. He says, I see men. It's better than it was before. <laughs> See, man, then he says something very strange. They look like trees. I see men, and they look like trees walking. That's an odd thing for a blind man to say. How can you just have received your sight? And have the nerve to say, I see men and they look, they look, they look like. I'll talk about the trees in a minute, but it's the like that I didn't like. How can men look like? In order to say like, it means you have to have seen something before. Somebody got it. You have 
to have seen something before. If I say you look like Luther Vandross, I better have seen Luther Vandross to make the comparison. How can this man say they look like trays? It's because this was not a miracle of a man receiving his sight for the first time. This is a miracle of a man who saw before and went blind, but Jesus was bringing restoration to his sight. This man saw before. This is not a man who was born blind. This is a man that at some point in his life, I don't know when, he could see, but he lost his sight. He had to. How else can you say man look like? You had to have seen trees before. I don't know when he lost his sight, just like I don't know when you, sir, lost your faith. I don't know when you lost your hope. But this man lost his sight, and for whatever reason, he remembered what trees look like, of all things. That's the only way he could say they look like trees. That means Jesus was not allowing him to receive his sight. He was restoring his sight. Because your God is a God of restoration. Can I prophesy over somebody right now? This is your year of restoration. I don't care what you lost in 2020. I'm telling you, don't you let the enemy make you think that God can't restore it. Come on, somebody. He'll restore your marriage. He'll restore your family. He'll restore your finances. He'll restore your children. He'll restore the years. He'll restore the years that the canker worm and the locust ate up. We serve a God who is able to restore. Somebody needs to give him some praise today like you know he is a God of restoration there is nothing our God can't restore this is what he does he brings restoration to families to marriages to churches to businesses he will restore don't you lose hope don't you make the enemy think that it's too broken for God to restore. This is what our God does. He brings restoration. He restored, but the restoration didn't come until he was honest about it being blurry. And once he was honest, he got the second touch. And when he got that second touch, he said, oh, I can see clearly now. I believe today is somebody's second touch. God is going to bring you clarity over a situation that's been blurry. If you won't walk away, he will give you the clarity. Gave him clarity and then told him to go home. He says, go home and don't go back in that village. Go home and don't go back in that village. Which means that village wasn't even his home. He had a home. Go to your home. Go home and do what? I think he wanted him to go home and be a tree. Of all the things that he could have compared the men to in his blurry state, he said, I see men like trees. Oh, thank God he didn't say I see men like elephants. I see men like park benches. 
No, he said, I see men like trees, because that's what I see in this room. I see men like trees. I see men in their homes planted. I see men in their homes grounded. I see men in their homes like trees whose roots go deep into the ground, who don't give up. I see men that when wind and challenges and adversity come, you might bend, but you will not break. I'm telling you what I see. I see men like trees. I see men who are not perfect, but they're growing every single year in the knowledge and the wisdom of God. I see men like trees. I see men who have branches that reach out that will touch future generations that have leaves that will bring shade and covering. I see men like trees. This Father's Day I prophesy over living word that you will have men like trees. Men grounded. Men planted in the house of God. Men who will be shade and covering and protection. Oh somebody by faith. Get up on your feet and give us some praise if you believe it. God, give us men like trees. Men like trees. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In that law does he meditate both day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water, whose who brings forth fruit in due season. Oh, we need men like trees. Men like trees. Don't you dare give up. I prophesy and speak against the spirit of suicide. Sir, don't you dare think about taking your life. You might be bending, but you will not break. You are a tree a tree you're a tree and your influence goes wider than you realize there are people who need your branches sir they need your branches they need you to show up they need you to be faithful they need you to be grounded they need you to have roots that go deep they need you not to be perfect he'll start with spit but to grow every year, to allow him to cut and prune things in your life that need to be cut so you can grow more. We need men like trees. God, give us men like trees. That's what I'm praying for you for this Father's Day. That you'll be a man that's a tree planted. Planted. Ooh, I sense the presence of God. I sense the presence of God. I, I need it. I want to ask every man, ooh, can I do this? I'm going to ask every man, can you just get out of your seat and just come here to this altar? Every, every man, every man, every man, even if you got to come down from the balcony. If you're comfortable and you're fine, I know there's all kinds of things. I'm going to ask every man, come on. Look at these men like, I see men like trees. I see men like trees. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Men like trees. 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 Ooh, men like trees. Come on, look at all these trees. 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 Oh, that's why the enemy's been trying to cut you down, because you're a tree. That's why he's trying to get you to give up, because you're a tree. Look at all these trees. Look at all these trees. Young trees. 
old trees. Trees that are on Facebook. Trees that are on TikTok. Trees that got Snapchat. Trees that got the text on your phone that's about this large. <laughs> trees. No matter your age, you're still a tree. I'm going to ask those of you in your seats, would you stretch your hands out towards these mighty men? And man, just lift up your hands like you know that a tree needs sunlight. Thank God for Jesus, who is our light and our salvation. Would you stretch out your hands and pray for all these mighty men? Father, I thank you right now for every man whose hand is lifted. God, I impart strength into them today. Strength for the battle. Strength. God, I pray courage over every single one of these trees. Some of them are carrying such a weight, such a weight. God, I pray that they will know that their victory and their strength is in their submission to you, God. Thank you, God, that you're giving them safe places to be vulnerable. Some of them have been sucking it in and holding emotions and holding past hurt and trauma, things they've never told anybody. God, I pray right now for safe places for these men, safe places to be able to share. This is my kryptonite. This is where I'm struggling. God, I pray right now that as their hands are lifted, that you would open up a window of heaven just as you did, God, over your son that day in the Jordan River and you spoke the word that he needed to hear that would carry him throughout his ministry. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God, I pray they would feel that approval right now, right now, right now, right now. They won't try to find it in a bottle. They won't try to find it in a woman. God, right now, they would sense, thank you right now, they would sense the approval from heaven. Their strength, their security, their identity would be found in you, God. God, give us men again who won't give up. Give us men again, not perfect, but they're following you as an example and growing every year. Strength, strength, strength. God, I come against fear that would cause them to back down. God, I thank you. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, Jesus. I speak it over every man. This Father's Day in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, somebody give God the big shout of praise that you got. Oh, come on, you could do better than that. Give God some praise today. Come on, give him some praise today. Men like trees. Men like trees. Men like trees. Do one more thing, one more thing, and then I'm, I'm done. Just as every head be bowed, every eye closed, just in this moment, even if you're already at this altar, I want to be very specific and give anybody an opportunity today who's never taken that first step, which is to say, Jesus, my life is yours. You might already be at this altar, but if you're here today and you know you're not in a relationship with Jesus, I need you to know something about your heavenly father. He's not in heaven with a hammer waiting to beat you upside the head and condemn you. One of the worst things you can do is project the image or the character of an earthly father who failed onto your heavenly father. He is not like that. If you want to see what your father looks like and how he acts towards his sons, you need to go to the Gospel of Luke and see a boy who wasted his father's inheritance, went out and spent it all with prostitutes. He was in the pig pen of life, the lowest of the low, 
finally realized he got himself in that situation and decided to come home and said, I'm not even worthy to be called his son anymore. He had a whole speech prepared. He's like, I'm going to get myself together and I'll be a servant. And as he's running to the house, the dad didn't even let him say the speech. He takes off running towards that son. Runs towards him. Doesn't wait for him to clean up. Puts a robe over him and covers him. Which lets you know you don't clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You come to him just as you are. Through a party for a boy who wasted his inheritance. Who throws a party for a boy who wasted his father's inheritance. Your father does. Your savior does. That's his character. He's been waiting for you to come home. With heads bowed, eyes closed today. I don't care if it's just one person. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm talking to men, I'm talking to women, I'm talking to anybody. This is your day. Would you just lift up your hand as a sign to say, Lord, I'm giving you my life today. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. But those of you who say, today's my day, I'm coming home. Yeah, to my Father, I see those hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray this prayer as one big family, but especially those of you who responded. Would you say this? Say, dear Jesus. Thank you that I have a Father in you. Lord, I know I cannot do life without you. I don't know where to go. I'm blind by sin. I'm vulnerable and I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. From this moment forward, all that I am is yours. I trust you for each step. I'll let you guide. I'll let you lead me. I will be a tree. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, give God one more hand clap of praise. Were you blessed by the word of God today? Were you blessed by the word today? I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Mac, but I want to do one more thing. Paul, I met him right when I walked in. This young man drove an hour and 30 minutes to come uh, to service today. And uh, Paul, I want you to know that God sees your heart. God sees your passionate pursuit of him for you to be a young man and say, I'm going to drive an hour and a half. It shows your heart for God. It shows your commitment. And you do have an anointing like a Paul. You have an anointing that is going to spread out farther than you even realize. God's given you influence. He's given you favor. I'm telling you, don't ever try to fit in with anybody because God's called you to stand out. And it is your consecration and the things that he speaks to you in a secret place that is going to revolutionize and transform your generation. So I speak life over you. I pray, Lord, the gift of an evangelist over him today. God, I pray that thousands, Lord, ah, millions, God, would come into the kingdom because of Paul's dedication to you, God. I pray protection over him, God. Lord, I pray any plan of the enemy, God, would be canceled right now. He will step into the fullness of his purpose and his destiny. Thank you for the lives that will be changed, not only in his generation, but in generations to come. For a mighty young man of God whose heart is submitted to you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, 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 amen. Come on, give God one more hand clap of praise. Bless me.
Love you. Hallelujah. You guys got blessed, then you need to let the Lord know. And let, let Robert know. Amen.